0: I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2023, Uh, and once again, folks, uh, dear listeners, you are in store for a solo uh, recording. Uh, This is just going to be me talking to myself uh, with myself. Uh, so if you can't stand to bear of that, uh, go ahead and turn off the podcast now. Uh, but anyway, uh, barreling on ahead. Um, I haven't really come up with a theme, uh, for this month's, uh, content. Uh, Kyle, uh, he's, he seems to have a knack for that. Uh, that, that man, uh, his, his tastes in films, they, they change with the winds. Uh, he, he goes where the wind takes him. And I'm always thrilled to go with him along on that journey. Uh, myself, uh, I barely fucking watch movies anymore these days. Uh, so it's actually kind of like this is a bit of homework for me. Uh, it, it is a bit of a chore for me to find something I can watch by myself and talk about again by myself. Uh, so this week uh, I tried to channel my inner Kyle and uh, just fo- follow my gut. Um, I'm not sure if it worked out, uh, but... I'll explain uh, what my decision-making process was here in a sec. Um, But the film I'm going to be talking about today here uh, is The Deep House uh, from the year 2021, uh, co-directed by Alexandre Bustillo and uh, Julien Marie. Uh, I'm saying it in an exaggerated French accent or faux uh, French accent because I am a dumb American, uh, an ugly American, if you will. Uh, And that shit tickles me. Uh, so excuse me if i if i drop a a grossly exaggerated french accent every once in a while Uh, speaking of which alternative title for the film may as well be the deep house the deep house Uh, the deep house uh the reason i picked this film uh is kind of (laughs) stupid um i i did almost no research for this i think i saw a teaser trailer for it around the time of its release uh so i it was somewhat on my radar. I got my wires crossed because there's also a Russian, uh, sci-fi horror film, I believe, uh, by the name of super deep, um, which also came out within the past couple of years. So I think I got them confused at a time or two, but anyway, uh, this was a movie that popped onto my radar a couple of years ago. Uh, and I, you know, I took a look at it and I was like, yeah, I don't really need that in my life. Uh, spoiler alert. I kind of feel like that's probably still true today. Uh, anyway, I'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, really, the reason I picked this is because um, I've said it multiple times on the show. Uh, I have a fascination uh, with the sea, and in particular, uh, underwater horror. Um, anything that takes place in a uh, like an undersea base or on a submarine that involves a little bit of tension or horror, sign me up, man. Uh, I'm interested uh and all, that same goes for like on the surface of the sea on, on 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 the high seas i i like that kind of stuff as well especially when monsters are involved and in stuff um leviathan and, and deep star 6 and the abyss and and uh, lords of the abyss all that stuff i think latched hold of me at an early age probably like 100% certainly um largely in part due to my dad uh, showing me Jaws uh, when I was pretty young. Uh, that was like a father-son kind of bonding experience for me. Uh, I've I've said many, many times on the podcast, the Rocky films uh, were probably the most important formative film experiences for me. Outside of Transformers the movie uh, from 1986, uh, that is probably the single most important movie in my life. Uh the son of Godzilla notwithstanding. But Jaws is a very close contender amongst all of that uh, because my my dad did some commercial fishing. He's very comfortable on the ocean. Uh, and, yeah, that was a movie that he loved. Uh, he He's still alive, folks. I know sometimes I refer, refer to him in the past tense, but my, my dad's still alive. He's still awesome. Uh, and he probably still loves Jaws. I haven't talked to him about it in a long time. But, anyway, uh, deep-sea horror uh, is something that i will always check out and in fact uh, a fun experience we had on the podcast within the past couple of years was um we've reviewed underwater uh the Kristen stewart headlined film that was apparently shelved for a very very long time and i think is like I think it's like one of the last like real 20th century Fox productions. Uh, I could be completely wrong on that, but I seem to remember that being like a soundbite about that film. But, uh, that was one that checked a lot of boxes for me personally. And then sure enough, uh, we ended up watching it and I was like, Hey, this shit ain't half bad. Um, check it out. Uh, if you're interested, it, it won't disappoint you. Um, but anyway, uh, the real reason, though, uh, aside from just a general fascination I have with underwater horror, um, is timing, and and that comes in the form of me uh, having recently completed reading a novel um, by the author Nick Cutter. Um, I believe that's a pen name, uh, kind of similar to like a Stephen King, Richard Bachman. Uh, I, I believe the the Nick Cutter alias is is the Richard Bachman of that equation. Um, He's only He only has a few uh, novels to his name, I think three or four, uh, and to date I've currently read two of them. Uh, I started with The Troop, and I've quite enjoyed that. Uh, as soon as I finished it, I was like, man, I would love to see this adapted to film someday, but there are things in that novel that at least in, in this country, in the United States, um, I, I don't think they would be welcome on the silver screen or on television. Just a lot, a lot of bad shit happens to kids in it. Um, and I know that's like a common thing in like Stephen King novels, like, like, and and his son's novels for that matter. Um, people of a certain generation, man. Um, but the, the kinds of trauma visited upon uh, young boys in, in the troop is a uh, particularly gruesome and really only carries the proper effect if it's if it's ex- shown and examined in explicit detail uh, some of the Stephen King stuff like they the story still functions quite well if you imply a lot of the violence and a lot of the gruesomeness I mean look at most of the film adaptations of his books um, but in the troop, it's like you the details are important to to the horror and and to an extent to the characterizations and stuff. And I just don't think it would be feasible as much as I I would care to see that uh, realized on film. But anyway, I was very impressed with that novel. It had been uh, on my to do list for many years, um, and it just so happened I found it uh, at a uh, Powell's, the giant bookstore in Portland that has basically everything. Uh, so. You better believe they had a couple of copies of that floating around in there uh, to date, though. Like I, I actually made a deal with myself. Um, I told myself I would buy the troop and read it if I could find it in the wild. Like it's readily available on Amazon and I'm sure other booksellers online. But for some reason, I just had this little like metagame I was playing with myself where I was like, no, I, I will read this but I am choosing to go about this the caveman way and just like find it on a bookshelf at like a used bookstore or something. And sure enough, that's basically what I did. Uh, It took a long time. It took many, many years for that to happen. For some reason, it's not, uh, it wasn't easy for me to find. Uh, Anyway, The Deep uh, is the second novel from Nick Cutter that I've read and I finished it um, I hope I read most of it while I was on vacation. I went down to LA uh, for a week uh, with the girlfriend uh, a few weeks back. Uh, just for funsies, for vacation. She used to live there uh, for about seven years. so it's her second home. Uh, and she wanted to show me the sites or not not really the sites actually. She just wanted to introduce me to like some of the important people in her life and you know, check out some of the important sites like the Galleria. Now I wouldn't expect any of you out there listening uh, to get that reference just now, uh, but Kyle most certainly did. If he's listening, he's probably not. Um, Terminator 2, folks, one of the best movies ever made. Uh, Robert Patrick, the Galleria. Um, I, I, well, my jack, my dumbass ass, uh, insisted on getting my photo taken in front of the sign of the Galleria, uh, just to send my. My good buddy and co-host Kyle, because that's a re- that is a obscure reference, an obscure quote from a movie that only only he and I get a chuckle out of. Um, by the way, I never actually got to go inside the Galleria uh, because they have a no dogs policy, and we were uh, hanging out with somebody that had a adorable dog, uh, so that that kind of sucked. But at least I got the photo. Um, but yeah, I picked up uh, the Deep, just just uh, like. I forget the name of the bookstore, uh, but there was, there was a beautiful used bookstore in LA, downtown LA that, uh, the girlfriend used to frequent that she was excited to take me into a lot of neat art installations in there. Uh, damn, I'm kicking myself over not remembering the name, but it's like the last stop or the, I think it's called the last bookstore or something like that. Um, very cool, nice little tourist spot, but also just a cool bookstore. Um, and I just happened to find uh, another Nick, Nick Cutter novel in there. And then when I read the plot description and discovered, oh, shit, deep sea horror from a guy who I kind of I, I'm kind of on board with at this point, being as I had read The Troop not too long before, like a few months before. I was like, OK, shit, I'll blind buy this. And I blind bought it and I read it and it tell you this much. I didn't like it as much as The Troop. Um, that's that's my honest opinion. Uh, I did enjoy it. Uh, I it was a lightning fast read for me. I I just burned through it. Lots of short chapters though. Uh, that Dan Brown style, where it makes you feel like you're smart because the chapters are like a couple of paragraphs long, and it makes you feel like you're just blazing through the book. It's like not really. It's like we're we're cutting corners here. We gotta get the page count up. Uh, but um, I didn't enjoy it as much as the troop in general. And part of it came down to, and I I hope this is not gonna spoil. Uh, that novel, The Deep, uh, for anybody out there who might be considering reading it, but a big part of it I discovered, and I haven't read a lot of horror fiction. I've I've watched plenty of movies and plenty of TV shows and stuff, and played tons of horror video games. Um, I don't often read horror fiction, though. Um, Something I think I discovered about myself is that uh, illusions, hallucinations, things of that nature in an otherwise grounded story uh, kind of take me out of the experience. It's, it's like a, I, I've encountered this phenomenon with, with watching movies with people where sometimes you, you get wrapped up in trying to discern what is or what is not ac- like actually happening in, in the reality of the story that you're taking in. Uh, and I found myself kind of doing that, where I was dissecting the experience too often, Um, like, like crazy things would happen that I'd, I'd kind of like hand wave away and be like, ah, that can't possibly be really happening in the story right now. That's somebody imagining things. And for some reason, when, when I'm able to put up that extra barrier between myself and the, and the story, uh, it lessens the intensity of it. Um, there is some really good stuff in the deep for sure. Um, I love, I love the amount of attention to detail in the description. I love, uh, the journal uh, portion of it, I love when. Uh, maybe it's because I played too many goddamn Resident Evil and Silent Hill games, but I really enjoyed a portion of the story wherein uh, the protagonist is reading uh, a descent into madness via someone else's journal, uh, somebody who's experienced the horror that he's experienced currently, experiencing earlier than him. Uh, so it's it's. If you get the reference to the first Resident Evil game, it's it's the the itchy tasty. Uh, ugly face so killed him itchy tasty um it's the journal from the first resident evil basically except obviously much more elaborate and better written <laughs> than that although that was classic that's a t-shirt i should have just itchy tasty the the people who know will know um but yeah the deep uh being as i just read it not too long ago i i found myself wanting to continue to scratch that itch i was like huh deep sea horror man like that i it, it's the easiest gimme for me. It's like a, it's like martial arts in film. Like if you put it in your movie and you put a couple of seconds of it in the trailer, you have my attention. The same goes for putting creepy things or, or monsters, especially, uh, at the bottom of the ocean, especially not, not just in the ocean, but at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, Oh, you but be- folks. If you ever heard of the movie sphere, uh, based on the Michael Crichton novel, which I'm not sure if that novel is actually good. Like I, I read that novel just like I read Congo. Um, and I don't think either version, like, like movie or book for either of those stories are particularly good. However, they both make for kind of fun, guilty pleasure of watching. If I'm being honest, I have seen Sphere an embarrassing number of times, not so much Congo, but I, I'm thinking about Congo right now, and I'm kind of wanting to watch it. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I want to see those apes jump into that lava pit. Something about, oh, yeah, I also want to see that laser beam uh, and that big hippo puppet. Classic stuff. God damn! I got to get Kyle to watch that with me. (laughs) If Kyle hasn't seen Congo, we're watching Congo. (laughs) Stop eating my sesame cake. (laughs) And just all of Tim Curry's wobble use. Folks, I'm not going to tell you why I know this, but just so you know, Whatever the fuck Tim Curry is doing in Congo, that is not what a Romanian accent sounds like. Just, just, straight up, <laughs> like, it's just, 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 just know that that, that he completely fab- fabricated that. And I believe he what he's probably doing is something more akin to like a Ukrainian accent or something. But uh, that shit ain't Romanian. Just say that much. <laughs> um, anyway. Where the fuck was I? Oh yeah, Sphere. Uh I I made my mom take me to go see Sphere in the theater uh when it came out, probably in the late 90s like 98, 99 maybe, probably 98. Um because there was a goddamn dragonfish in the trailer, like two frames of a dragonfish like darting into the camera. And, and that's all it took. I, 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 I When are we going to get to the fireworks factory? My, my experience of that movie. I spent the whole goddamn movie waiting for some deep sea critter to do something. Instead, we get a uh, implied giant squid. Come on, man. There is a giant squid in the story. It does horrible things to people and to the deep sea base that, that the story takes place in. You never see the damn thing other than it pooping eggs all over the place uh, because they scare Samuel L. Jackson, you understand. He, he doesn't like eggs. Uh, or squid, excuse me. Uh, he loves eggs in that movie. I got it, I got it flipped. Um, anyway, I goddamn now I want to watch Fear. <laughs> if only to see Leif Schreiber get his face set on fire. <laughs> Sorry, Explorer Alert. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, the same goes for, uh, funny enough, very similar title, The Deep. Um, based on the Peter Benchley novel. What is it with with writers and their fascination with the bottom of the ocean? By the way, I am aware that the uh, the Titanic expedition thing happened pretty recently. That has nothing to do with why I'm recording this episode today. Just just so we're clear, I am aware that that is a that is a thing that happened. People are people are dead. That's not good. No matter how you slice it. Not trying to cash in on the tragedy or anything. Uh, this is just a f- stupid fucking coincidence. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, the the Deep, um, I believe, is based on Peter Benchley novel. I stayed up till like 2 fucking a.m. watching that boring-ass movie uh, because my dad promised me there was a moray eel that was going to pop out at somebody and spook him sometime in that movie i never saw that goddamn eel i stayed up so late trying to finish that movie just so i could see a goddamn eel and the rest the rest of that movie is just what uh morphine and and uh and dive footage just slow ass dive footage and people looking for morphine that that's the whole goddamn movie <laughs> never watching that shit again anyway <laughs> point is i am a i am a mark uh, for deep sea horror, I've said this so many times already. I'm so sorry how repetitive this episode is. Anyway, let's get to the, the deep house. Uh, the deep house comes to us from a pair of directors who I'm I'm surprised actually. I I am somewhat familiar with their filmography. Not not really. Uh, I've seen exactly one film that they've made, um, but it's a banger. Uh, that film uh, is Inside. Uh, from for the year two thousand and seven, uh, which Kyle and I did in fact review uh, a while back on the podcast. Uh, you can look it up. It was a fun episode. That's a that is uh, part of that uh, French New Wave or whatever wave they're calling it uh, of horror films. I forget the name that they gave to that particular movement. In fact, I'm going to try to look it up as I vamp here. Yeah, New Wave of French Horror. Uh, 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 Ote. Tension, uh, o tension, uh, hot, uh, high tension, I believe was like one of the forerunners of that. It was, it was kind of the tip of the spear of that particular movement. Uh, but inside was most, most certainly part of it as well. Uh, and it's a damn fine piece of horror. Uh, it, it's very gory. It's very intense. Uh, nice little bottle drama on top of that, something that appeals to me in particular. This movie kind of has that um, going for it as well, a single location. Uh, drama. if you're not aware. Um, so I was kind of shocked. I was expecting to go into this one with with nothing, like no familiarity with any of the people involved. But uh, as it so happens, I uh, have seen at least one film from these directors, and it was a good one. Um, their output hasn't exactly been... Uh, there hasn't been a lot of films that they've made, nor do I know the reputation of them, with the exception of Leatherface, Uh, which as far as I understand, uh, is a not very good Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. I actually happen to like, uh, the direct Netflix, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Um, a lot of people really, really hated that. Uh, I actually had a lot of fun with that. And that's another one, uh, that Kyle and I directed. Um, but yeah, uh, with, with that exception, with Leatherface aside, I haven't, I don't know anything else about anything else these guys have done, um as far as the cast goes i got nothing man now uh, we got james jagger who of course as soon as i see that name again dumb american watching the film i have to, i was like is that mick jagger's son or something and he could he could be I've, I've never seen any evidence to suggest that that's the case but um, he doesn't even have a fucking wikipedia page although i will point out that apparently he's in the outpost which is a uh i think it's like a it's a war, like a contemporary uh, American war film that apparently isn't terrible. Uh, that's that's all I know about it, though. Um, and yeah, it's uh, James Jagger and Camille Rowe uh, are our two leads, Ben and Tina. And uh, by the end of this one, if you don't know the names of the two characters in this film, you haven't been watching because they. Th- this is one of those movies that where where people's names are every other line of dialogue. Ben, Tina, Ben, Tina, Ben, Tina, like throughout the whole fucking film. It gets a little tedious, if I'm being honest. Anyway, uh, the basic uh, conceit of this film uh, is we have a couple, Ben and Tina, uh, who Ben is, uh, I think he's a Brit. I believe he's from the UK. And uh, Tina, I believe she's supposed to be American, but uh, her family is French. Uh, so she's of French lineage and is a native speaker on top of that. And they are in France. Uh, I am French. Uh, that's another reference that Kyle would get. Spider-Man 2, Bruce Campbell. Look it up. Or, yeah, Spider-Man 2. <laughs> No, it's a Spider-Man 3, Becker. Becker, that's right. Um, good cameos from Bruce Campbell all the time. Always happy to see him. Uh, so uh, the basic conceit is we have this couple. And they are in France, and he is apparently trying to become a YouTube star. Um, I forget if YouTube is actually name-dropped in the film. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But he is definitely trying to become a live stream, live streamer-slash-influencer type. Uh, so he is very much all about the content. Um, so we're actually introduced to this couple um, brandishing GoPros as they they walk through a closed down sanatorium like you do. Uh, and of course he's like kind of narrating the whole experience and uh, she is kind of playing along as well. Um, but it's kind of interesting because because there's a uh, not a language barrier, but because she has both fluent English and French at her command, uh, there are instances where she'll she'll like mutter things to herself in French that are subtitled for our benefit that he won't understand um so it's like her frustration is apparent like the depths of her frustration and i don't know disagreements with him are sometimes heightened by us being aware of like how much distress she's under uh things that he's not aware of because he can't understand exactly what she's saying like she she sounds pretty fucking pissed sometimes in french uh when she's talking to herself um but yeah uh, the movie introduces us to these characters in this fashion and he's like a fame seeking like drama horror kind of um but he's also a very adventurous Whereas she is not so much she seems like she's going along with it th- like she really seems like she's going along with things because apparently she really loves this guy uh, that's that's how it reads in the film um and the, the cinematography style of the film is kind of introduced to us here as well on the surface, on like in the sanatorium before we get to the titular deep house, um, and it consists of POV shots via like kind of like GoPro type footage. Although they most I don't believe they used GoPros, and if they did, uh, they're of extraordinarily high quality and uh, like cinematic lensing. Uh, when we, when we do get to the deep house, the deep house, um, cause it doesn't have that, uh, fisheye effect, um, uh, <laughs> fisheye deep house, um, that you, it, you would expect from typical GoPro footage. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because the way this movie is shot is it's kind of trying to have it both ways. And I want to say that actually, it actually works very well because this is a cinematic experience. However, we make extensive use of POV footage via um, cameras that are being held by the characters and also a drone buddy that they have later on the film when they are underwater. Um, So the movie kind of shifts back and forth very seamlessly, very seamlessly, in fact, um, between these POV shots where you can tell you are looking through the eyes of a camera that is supposed to be in the room with the characters and also just straight-up cinematic camera angles. Um, and I was kind of impressed by by how seamless it felt, where it has a little bit of a found-footage vibe from time to time, um, but it it never commits to it. Um, so it, it toes that line very, very well. Um, but anyway, uh, they go through the house, and there's a very important but very, very brief sequence that's basically the title sequence of the film, um, wherein... Ben is picking up Tina from, I guess their, their hotel or their motel or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, we see her in a bathtub and we get an on-screen graphic saying it's been a few months. Um, oh, by the way, he, he spooked her intentionally in the house several times. Like, like he was kind of a shit about it, but again, he's doing it for the content and, you know, uh, nothing gets views better than, you know, a hot girl in a haunted house. Uh, <laughs> let's just say that much. Um, and we see her in a bathtub and she is holding her breath and you can hear him honking the horn to get her to come outside uh and she has a stopwatch on so she's she appears to be trying to train herself or at least get a read on on what her lung capacity is and this will be very very important uh being as the rest of the movie is going to take place under underwater um and it's it's like a minute 22 uh, is how long she held her breath which is pretty good by normal standards i mean i, I won a breath holding contest the other day by getting just over a minute honestly um but it put a pin in that uh, because that that's kind of one of the more important things in the movie um and then uh, to follow up on that point uh when she goes out to the car uh, to get in with him he like the first fucking thing he asks her is like how long how long did you hold your breath for cuz he assumed she was training apparently and she says oh, i i don't know like 3 minutes and and he pauses for a second and he he blinks and he's like Th- 3 minutes that that's that's pretty good like like you can tell he's he's a little bit disappointed or concerned probably just disappointed honestly uh, i was like damn man, 3 minutes is pretty good i couldn't do that but then again, I've never trained. Like, I've, I, I haven't ever worked at it uh, before. Um, but you can tell he's like, mm, that should be better. And, and the important thing to note is that we, the viewer, are aware that her actual lung capacity is half of that. And one thing that I, I got a chuckle out of, uh, because again, ugly American, dumb ugly American watching this kind of French film. Uh, I I think this was kind of an international production but somewhat French film Uh, I couldn't help but notice but both of these people are smoking cigarettes and like there's a part of my brain that sees that and I'm like that's probably not good for your lung capacity (laughs) I guess I don't know about lung capacity. Like maybe it is good for your lung capacity. I seriously doubt it, but it's definitely just straight up. Not good for your cardiovascular system. Just straight up, man. Uh, But I got to chuckle out of that. How we're, we're having this conversation, like almost heated conversation about somebody's lung capacity and we're trading a cigarette back and forth. Like, that's a choice okay that's what you're gonna do before you go diving sounds great man that's very fucking french of you (laughs) uh anyway uh from there uh the movie actually has kind of like a, a kind of like like a like a typical horror movie beginning where they they go out adventuring and actually really enjoyed the uh opening title sequence um we we get a title like a title sequence where we actually get to see the words the deep house I think literally descend uh, into the frame or ascend I'm not actually can't remember if it was going up or down Um, but it's just set on this uh, background that is meant to emulate like the view of like a lake water where there's like flotsam and jetsam and stuff and uh, sediment in the frame and stuff It's, it's cute um, but what I really liked is that the the timing of the credits is really cute, where a lot of the people involved with the the look and feel of the film, um, the their their credits show up in the edit at like at the proper time. And what I mean by that is when the cinematographer uh, appear when he when his slide, when his credit appears on screen, we show like a pretty neat uh, tracking shot of them driving down the road, and it's like it's actually kind of like a, a glamorous, pretty image. And then same goes for when the editor, his name, by the way, edited by Baxter. So nice they named him only once, Baxter. Edited <laughs> edited by Baxter. Um, when when Baxter's title drops like like it it's in time with the edit and stuff and same goes for the music like the music i I believe there's a song playing over the credits uh it hits like the chorus or something as his slide is showing up so it's, it's it's just cute and same goes for when the actors are on screen we just get a single shot of them like like a a profile view of them with the actor's name next to their face it was cute um but what I mean by like kind of a typical horror movie beginning is uh, Ben uh, wants to go visit some some site that's apparently got some paranormal sh- or shit or some like trauma built into the walls of it or something and they go there and it's a lake um, and it it's a tourist attraction. like there's tons of people like using it like a beach resort essentially. And you can just see that he's bummed out because he's he's looking for the exclusive, like he wants to find the the creepy shit nobody's found before. And clearly, this is not it, because uh, everybody's here and it's it's bright and sunny. It's a lovely day. Um, but then, just through happenstance, uh, he bumps into a local, uh, f- a fellow by the name of Pierre, uh, who tells them uh, about like, oh, you want to see some you want to see something really cool? And then he farts into a. Uh, campfire that causes a, a nuclear mushroom cloud to go off uh, from from the methane glass gas uh, passed through his asshole uh, again it this is what happens when i have to talk to myself with myself and make references for my own amusement beavis and butt head to america hey you want to see something really cool hilarious that is fucking cinema right there better movie if i'm being honest um so yeah a, a local named pierre is like hey so uh you want to see something scary and then uh <laughs> and then dan Aykroyd shows up and he turns into a blue-faced monster guy and uh, he attacks his friend twilight zone the movie look it up good movie uh you want to see something scary uh, <laughs> t- really scary uh and pierre's like oh yeah you, you want to see some shit i'll take you to go see some shit Uh, So they have a a tense ride down the road and basically it's like the kind of thing where it's like, if they hadn't talked to Pierre, they wouldn't have experienced the horror of the deep house. Uh, Spoiler alert, they do experience the horror of the deep house. uh, Thanks. Thanks largely in part to Pierre. Um, So he takes them out to this lake and then uh, we get our, our last moments with the characters and... Uh, there's some curious bits that happen here because Pierre has been like he's been distant, but he hasn't been creepy. He does have an exchange with Tina, wherein he's speaking to her exclusively in French, um, just kind of trying to get to know her a little bit. I think I think what's happening there is like he's trying to get he's trying to get a read on how much she knows about the local stuff, because he's like he susses out that's like, oh, you're American. You're not from here. You're- you are French like, culturally and ethnically, but you are not French. Um, but uh, beyond that, he, he's not super creepy or weird or anything. He's not especially suspect. But then they get to the water, and he gets weirdly distant and weirdly quiet, and he, like, mutters under his breath something that plays into the end of the film. Um, but we, we and the characters only catch half of it. Um, but Like one of the few things that stood out to me here is he he notices a peace sign on her uh, on Tina's uh, oxygen tank. Uh, And he says something about like, oh, it's a good omen. Um, And Ben has some commentary as well about the symbology associated with the peace sign and how it's actually not a peace sign. Apparently, it means apparently it's a symbol uh, signifying the end of Christendom. I was not aware of that. Wayne's World. Better movie. Check it out. Uh, and he's like, eh, that's a good omen. And I was like, ah, okay. I'm going to put a pin in that. And I think I understood. I think I understood how that factors in by the time we get to the end of the film. Not positive, but I'll, I'll explain when we get there. Uh, and I am going to accelerate this review, by the way. Uh, this is all set up. Approximately, what, like 80% of this film actually does take place underwater. Uh, and we get there immediately uh so this is the last scene of them uh <laughs> spoiler alert uh about like on the surface uh so they they get on their gear uh they have 60 minutes of oxygen and they also have a drone shooting in 4k no less uh i don't know what ben did for his day job or what tina does for hers but <laughs> they in the money because uh, they have deep sea 4k drones uh remote operated drones by the way uh, and their equipment did not look cheap as well but they have uh, important thing they have 60 minutes of oxygen and wouldn't you know it that's a, like the rest of the film actually does play out essentially in real time uh, which is to its benefit i thought that was a neat gimmick although it i, I do think they should have leaned on it more uh we'll, we'll get there when we get there though because i i i've kept you I've, I've been using the phrase better movie a lot throughout this and and a lot of the movies I've brought up are fucking classics so that there's no shame in that but the fact of the matter is this movie is not stupendous uh, by any means it's very middle of the road if I'm being honest and part of the reason I enjoy watching horror stuff is because I don't really get scared uh, it's very 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 hard to scare me I get tense sometimes but I'm I have too many barriers separating me from the material. Like like I said about my habit when I was reading, uh, the novel, The Deep. Um. I I I am a creative person, uh, in my own right, and my instinct is to. The way I admire creativity is by is through dissection, in, in some instances, so. In the case of in case of horror and stuff like that, and and special effects in particular, I part of my brain is often devoted towards how did they do that or why did they do that, and as a result, like I, I don't know, I I have this this inability to be a hundred percent taken for a ride by an experience. I'm I am incredibly jealous of of the girlfriend, and other people I know, like like Kyle, for instance, if he's watching a movie that grabs him by the throat uh there, it resonates with him and it makes it special like that's how he knows it's a great movie is because it its level of engagement is such that he doesn't feel like he's watching a movie anymore he's just experienced a thing um I, I find that incredibly difficult to achieve and i kind of hate that about myself but it's just kind of true i don't know how to turn it off um so in watching this movie, there were certain aspects of it that, again, part of the reason I like watching horror movies and just movies in general is just I like to pick it apart. I like to pull it apart and think about how I would have done things or or ways that maybe it could have been more than it actually is. Um, and if I had people reviewing this podcast, I don't. It's worth small time, unfortunately. Uh, I have to imagine that probably a common criticism of, of the things I say about movies would probably come down to me spending too much time talking about what the thing could have been as opposed to what it actually is. Um, anyway, that, that's a, that was a whole big thing. i I, hopefully it was coherent. Um, point is this, this movie had a lot of aspects of it that was like, I don't, I don't know if I would have gone about it that way. I would have preferred them to lean into certain things more or straight up push certain other things aside and i'll get to the specifics as we go but anyway they have 60 minutes of air and uh, they descend down to the deep house um, so if you haven't figured it out just yet um, and if you haven't seen the goddamn poster for the film the gimmick of this movie is that it is a haunted house film uh, essentially playing out in real time Wherein the haunted house is at the bottom of a lake, about a hundred feet below the surface, and tell you like straight up, I, I think that's a, I think that's a solid gimmick. I've never seen that before, and in horror media, especially like especially low budget horror media, novelty is everything. Novelty counts for so much, and just the fact that I haven't seen this before is, I guess, enough justification to give it a shot. Um, and also when you, when you think about the, the rigors of production, um, it just introduces a whole host of problems you probably never would have to consider if you weren't making this particular story, um, chief among which being set construction and maintenance. Um, I like, there isn't a whole lot of background of the making of this movie, at least available in text form. Maybe, maybe there's a making of on the Blu-ray. I don't have it. Um but what little I was able to suss out uh, pointed to the fact that the, the way the sets were built in this film, um, they had to build them on like platforms that could be lifted and descended uh, because it wouldn't be feasible to keep an underwater set of of, of this nature underwater for, for an indefinite period of time. They, they would rot and that would actually betray some of the concepts at work in the film. Uh, so to prevent the sets from degrading, they would have to take them out of the water and then put them back into the water, uh, apparently about six meters deep of water uh, for filming. Uh, so they had to build that system of, of a series of rooms that they could like lift in and out of the water uh, for shooting. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the the whole idea here is that our two divers descend a hundred feet down into this French lake, uh, and they find a very large house. That the story they are told um, before they get here by Pierre um, is that apparently this this valley was intentionally flooded uh, at one point, uh, and this house was not demolished beforehand. Uh, th- these structures exist in the world. Uh, I believe there's, I think it's in Nevada uh, or California. I'm not positive. It's either Southern California or Nevada, but I heard about this uh, via a vlog uh, that I watched a long time ago. Uh, it's essentially like a, a, la- a man-made lake um, that an entire town uh, used to sit in, in this like basin-like valley Um, And the town apparently still rests at the bottom of that lake. Um, So it's effectively an underwater ghost town. Um, Interesting stuff. Uh, Just full disclosure, I'm not a ghost guy. There's a lot of ghost guys on the internet. Like, there's a lot of ghost guys on the internet. A lot of conspiracy and ghost guys generally hang out as far as I know. I'm not a ghost guy, really. Uh, The the paranormal, the supernatural, I have have respect. I have profound respect for these things uh my mom is uh from hawaii uh and is japanese so obviously there's (laughs) there's just some stuff baked in there that's like oh that's some supernatural shit we better we better like say a silent prayer or like offer something (laughs) like that's still that's definitely baked in but there's not like straight up belief on my part nor am I quick to assume that that those things are at work whenever shit goes wrong. Although I will occasionally drop the phrase the menahunes. Um, if you're not familiar with that, it's, they call it Hawaiian leprechauns. Uh, if if you lose some shit, like some small shit in the house or something, it's probably those damn menahunes. You better you better leave out some like krill or some shrimp for them. Maybe they'll give it back to you. Who knows? Um, but yeah, point is, I'm not a ghost guy. Uh, Kyle i don't know if he's a ghost guy he loves horror media in general so i have to imagine he rubs up on quite a lot of ghost media regardless of how much he like how much that in particular speaks to him um, but as for myself i i don't bite super hard for ghost fiction it's just it's just not my thing um so i guess that that's a bad thing uh, going into this one i i kind of expected ghosts but i I don't really pop for ghosts, so maybe I shouldn't have bothered with this movie. Anyway, I already told you why I put this on. It has nothing to do with the ghosts. Um, But yeah, uh, they go down the the deep house uh, and they find their way into it uh, via like a second story window and we get a jump scare in the form of a CGI catfish uh, who does appear at least one more time in the film. He's probably my favorite part of the film, if I'm being honest, because like I said, I I bite for creatures. I love monster movies. I like creature features i like i like creepy crawlies and things that want to rip your fucking face off ghosts they got like unfinished business and and like they're usually like tortured and like usually you feel sympathy for them it's like no i want a big snarling thing that like i can't feel sorry for it because i'm too busy worried that it's gonna rip my fucking face off and and feed it to me or some shit ghosts just like i just keep thinking of the haunting i just keep thinking of those goddamn kids going no eleanor all that shit um we don't have those kinds of ghosts in this movie but we most certainly do have ghosts Uh, But yeah they go into the house and it starts to feel like aliens a little bit as we go in there I i used the phrase the other day everything is wrestling uh actually i say that basically every day, but I use the phrase, everything is aliens. In addition to everything is wrestling. Everything is either wrestling or aliens and or some combination therein. Um, and yeah, I kind of got that vibe, uh, largely in the form of the drone, because like they do like room clearings in here. And I'm not really sure why that's the case. Cause this is a house. It's not like a, a cave or something that could potentially cave in. It's it's you know it's a fairly stable structure or at least appears to be, um, but their procedure is Ben is they they have these wrist consoles and by the way uh, they Ben has the ability to play music in their, in their scuba gear, um, and they can check their oxygen levels, uh, and he can also manually control the drone on this little wrist gadget that he has. Um, and he is very much in charge of the dive, by the way. As I said, the way you can think of these two characters is very, very simple. It is Ben is the adventurous leader uh, who is doing it for the content. So he wants to film and narrate the whole experience and play up the drama. Um, and Tina, she's very reluctant. She's kind of just doing it to be with him or to make him happy. And you can tell based on their earlier interactions that he's uh, he's at like a place of frustration at the moment. Like, he keeps muttering to himself about, like, he's mopey about his, his viewership or his follower numbers, not ber- being where he'd like them to be. And she has some mention of him needing to get out of the library and experience things. So apparently, like, he's a historian. Like, that, I believe that was his major in whatever university he went to. So he's, he's big on research, and I guess this is him breaking away from that aggressively and trying to become a thrill seeker instead of a bookworm. Um, and he really, really, really leans into that. Um, anyway, the, their procedure in navigating this house is to send the drone ahead of them whenever they enter a room. And it feels like, like room clearing shit. Um, and the reason I said it made me think of aliens is because uh, it makes me think of the motion tracker. Um, the bit bit because the drone the drone straight up has a motion tracker built into it. They they reference it a couple of times in the film where apparently it's calibrated to identify Ben and Tina's movements, but anything else, it it'll ping or like give a give a heads up to them. I'm not sure why you again why you'd need that in a fucking French lake, other than other than catfish or you know maybe a bookshelf getting knocked over if you swim up to it too close or something or in the wrong way i don't see how much would be moving uh in here Uh, much much less of any significance really anyway that's a thing that's in the movie um and very similar to aliens we spend quite a decent chunk of time not really not really seeing any xenos like there ain't no xenomorphs we don't we don't get a face hugger or a a drone or a warrior alien or anything like that poking around the corners what i'm saying is we spend quite a lot of time just in this house and feeling the tension of of the environment and our characters do notice some some weird strangeness like like everything in the house that rests at the bottom of the lake and has been here for a very long time uh I think since the 80s, I believe. Um, it. Everything seems too well preserved. Like you would expect if it's been sitting at the bottom of a lake for as long as it has, everything would be degraded and just completely rotted uh, and or overtaken by nature for that matter. Uh, but no, everything's pretty well preserved. And that, that's where that note about the production design comes in, where it's like this was intentionally designed to look f- f- somewhat fresh despite being submerged. Um, which is why they needed to preserve the sets to some degree. Um, but yeah, everything in there is is a little bit too cl- crisp, a little bit too clean. Um, I believe there is a, a bit where uh, their electronics go on the fritz a little bit. And while I am not a ghost guy, as I said, <laughs> uh, I do know that that is a very common trope of uh, supernatural phenomena. Seems to be like a universally accepted aspect of, of supernatural stuff is... Is that ghosts and spirits, futz with electronics, and I don't know if that's supposed to be some sort of comment on uh, technology, like pushing humanity beyond barriers that's it's not meant to tread upon. I don't I don't know where that particular aspect of ghostology, spiritology I don't know what the fuck it's called comes from, but it's a very common trope, and it certainly plays in here, uh, in the form of the drone shutting down straight up misbehaving from time to time uh and also the music um that ben has command of as they're descending uh, goes on the fritz and kind of just does its own thing like it plays music that apparently he didn't have preloaded onto i assume i assume like his mp3 player or something um so that was kind of interesting um, but really things, uh, I'll cut to the chase, uh, things intensify when they continue to discover odd things in the house. Uh, again, no, like jump scares or, or like big crazy things happening. The, what really begins, uh, the, the real heightened element of the tension is they find a, I believe it's a crucified statue it's a statue of jesus crucified on the cross um and ben and tina tear it down or at least they pull it off the wall and they discover a hidden room um and i believe this is where uh, the pierre pointing out the peace sign on her oxygen tank comes into play and because that's an explicitly christian or catholic symbol but then what we discover beyond that door is very obviously supposed to be like satanic. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing Pierre recognized that like, she has uh, some sort of symbol that's, uh, going against Christ. And she was in like, he, I don't know, saw something in her, or like recognized something in her. Um, I'll get, I'll explain later, but anyway, they go into this back room and, uh, by the way, they found a lot of, uh, A lot of film, a lot of cameras, uh, a lot of children's toys, lots of children's toys, lots of children's bedrooms. Um, And now they get to this back room and they find two people uh, suspended from chains uh, under a well. uh, And they both have what appear to be medieval torture masks on their faces. Um, And Tina, while while both of our characters are kind of freaked out by this image, Tina in particular is incredibly distressed and also points out that they, these corpses are way too well-preserved, um, for as, for as long as they should be down here. Um, at this point, uh, Ben takes a couple of minutes of footage of, of the two bodies and the whole time they're conversing these two characters in front of these two dead bodies. They're just floating, uh, in this room. Uh, you know, you, the viewer, just like keeping your eyes on those bodies and just like, is is somebody going to pop out? Like, is somebody going to do is is a ghost going to try some shit here? And they don't. Uh, (laughs) What what really begins to heighten the tension here is that uh, they try to leave as you do. Um, And Tina's like, we got to call the cops. And Ben is telling her, no way. They'll they'll take our footage, man. And I'm trying to make it big on the Internet. So we can't have that. Um, None of this is important. It's just detail. Anyway, they try to leave and they go back to the door that they came through and, oh, wouldn't you know it, uh, it is bricked up. Like, there's straight up just a brick wall on the window that they came in through. Funny that. Uh, Satina freaks the fuck out and we have a very important moment where um, Ben has to calm her down. And he he admonishes her. He says, like, not trying to be mean or nothing, but like, we have limited oxygen, and now that now that we are in a crisis, as as much as your body is telling you now is the time to to flail and get get hyped uh, in the negative fashion, um, we both need to remain calm because we're you're using too much air, um, and I liked that a lot, um, but I was actually really hoping that the movie would really lean into the oxygen uh, thing as being a huge part of the plot because. As I said, the the remainder of the film does play out in real time. It basically is sixty minutes of film um, that that we see transpire. Um, but I really want the the ticking clock to really really be a part of it. Um, it's brought up several times, but I would I could have used more. Uh, that's that's just me though. Anyway, uh, a strange thing happens as they're looking uh, for. Uh, an alternative escape, Uh, Ben starts to get frustrated because he's trying to break every window in sight. And for some reason they hold their integrity against his strikes. And even he's starting to get worried now, which is not good for Tina who is already freaking the fuck out. Um, And so Tina actually ends up going back uh, to the cellar. I believe the, I believe the reason for this is that she finds the catfish again, uh, who had spooked them, Uh, coming out of the house when when they were entering Uh, she finds it in the house again and much like following like rats away from like a gas leak or fire or something she assumes hmm if it's traveling through the house and we know that the way that it came out is now barred maybe it's looking for a way out as well and maybe if we follow it we can follow it out of the house decent plant uh, if you don't have a plant especially (laughs) follow that catfish so Unfortunately, the catfish goes back into the cellar, which is the room with the two hanging people. Uh, and then a very strange, uh, occurrence happens here where she's in there and all of a sudden, uh, I believe she's freaking out, uh, and like everything turns red and she gets hung up in some chains, uh, and she gets caught with a hook on her leg uh, lots of air bubbles, lots, like the entire scene is bathed in in red light, lots of POV footage that's very, very, very disorienting. Uh, by the way, I, I liked uh, what they did with the sediment uh, in certain rooms uh, in the house. Uh, very cool effect, um, really lends a lot of atmosphere, just kind of obscuring your view and making it feel that much more authentic to being like a, a house at the bottom of the lake. Uh, looked pretty cool. Uh, in general the movie looks pretty cool. Uh as as sparse as some of the production design is, it it has a nice look to it. Um but anyway, she freaks the fuck out. Uh and she I don't know if it's a hallucination or what happens here, but a pen she's calling out to Ben the entire time. Uh, and then eventually things die down, she's safe, although somewhat injured because she did get a hook to the leg. Um and then Ben approaches her and he's like, I, I was here the whole time, lady. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you're, you're screaming, you're hurt. I, I don't know what happened here. Um, and I believe it's during this conversation that we get our first, uh, official ghost sighting here. And I believe it comes in the form of a young girl, uh, who just kind of drifts into the frame from over the shoulder of, uh, one of the characters. Um, and then we actually cut to like, a. A closer angle of the girl like with her mouth open coming towards them um i kind of i kind of would prefer just that one shot of of the girl kind of just lazily drifting into the frame and then cut to a reaction or something and then cut back and it's it's gone uh but no we get those two shots there and the second one felt maybe a little bit extraneous if i'm being honest uh, it kind of reminded me of uh the descent that that famous angle that famous shot where the the mole person spoiler alert, there are mole people in the descent uh, <laughs> uh that just happens to be like just hanging over the shoulder of one of the characters as light is brought up over them um they are blind so they they wouldn't see the light uh good movie better movie <laughs> just, just say that much and in fact i put a pin in that because there's an aspect of the descent that uh Actually, before I forget, I'm putting too many pins down. It's very hard to bandage your pins when you don't have somebody to remind you where those pins are. Um, I may as well just address it now. So The Descent, I quite liked. Um, I enjoyed that movie. I saw it in the theater. Very, very intense. That was a movie that made me uncomfortable at times. Not scared, but uncomfortable. Uh, And uh, a big reason why it was kind of silly, actually. Like, one, there's the, the tension aspect of it, where they... They put you in the room with bad things in that movie and ask you to spend a lot longer, just kind of holding still and praying, uh, than a lot of other movies would dare do. Uh, and that was very impressive. That showed a lot of, not necessarily restraint, but respect, I guess, towards the viewer. Where it's like you don't gotta be throwing, you don't gotta throw cats at people all the time. Like it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be like loud, noisy scares all the time. Like. A lot of people like to use the phrase, I hate jump scares. I I actually don't, I don't care. Like, I think it's important. I think jump scares are a tool that you, you can abuse them uh, for sure. Absolutely, there are examples of people abusing them and just leaning on it too heavily. But I think it's a very important tool to add to your arsenal because in terms of disrupting people's comfort zones and and the rhythm of the film they're very very useful because if you can get somebody like putting up their guard and and wincing preemptively and then not doing anything that that means you've got them that means that means you have put them in a place of discomfort where they can't quite anticipate what's going to come next and for a horror for a presenter of horror fiction that's that's a huge boon (laughs) Um, so for the record I don't hate jump scares I I don't really have that much against them I I think they're just another tool uh, in a filmmaker's arsenal Um, Descent didn't really have that it just had these really long sequences where you're just kind of stuck in the room with some bad shit and you just want it to go away but there's nothing you can do so you just gotta gotta bide your time and hope for the best Um, also pretty violent Uh, just a pretty good movie um, but the the claustrophobia in that movie uh, before the mole people even enter the picture there's a sequence wherein uh, the characters are crawling through an increasingly narrowing tunnel uh, and we have a cast of all, all sorts of different heights and body sizes and some people are built better for that than others and uh, there is a, of course if you're going to do something subterranean like a story that takes place underground you what, what, like underground, <laughs> um, uh, it, you really ought to do a se- a sequence or at least a moment that, that highlights the fear and the tension that comes with potentially being trapped. Uh, and they do that in that movie and it's very ably performed and it made me feel weird. I was like, I don't want that to happen to me. That's terrible. That's terrifying. Um, and I was really hoping they would do that in this movie. Um, because it is, it is, you know, it's a house, but there's, they're underwater and they also have, they also have scuba gear and stuff. Like their, their, their proportions are odd and, and they're trapped. I was really hoping for some claustrophobia or something where, and uh, like, they do kind of hint that that might be a source of tension at some point in the movie. Um, spoiler alert, there is a part where they're trying to get out of the house via the chimney. Uh, a very small chimney, which is most certainly not built for human beings to traverse. Um, and I was really expecting something similar to that wherein somebody gets caught in there uh, and then you then that's when you you reinsert the the oxygen factor where it's like, okay i'm I'm not just trapped, I'm also trapped with a time limit where I don't have the luxury of you know thinking things through. I was really hoping for that moment, maybe even before the ghost shit started up kind of similar to the descent. Um, but we never really lean on that as, as a source of tension and horror in this film, uh, which kind of surprised me and also disappointed me just a little bit. Um, I don't think of myself as a claustrophobic person, but now that I really think about, it, I probably am. I just find ways to not put myself in those situations, <laughs> uh, like a smart person. Um, anyway uh yeah we get our first ghost sighting and then very shortly thereafter things begin to escalate um wherein the two people uh that are hanging in the room with them are unmasked and sure enough their eyes snap open uh and it's a a bald old man and an old lady uh who don't have particularly menacing uh expressions on their face they look pretty blank and they have like dead stares um but just the sight of people in somewhat limited uh, ghost makeup in plain clothes moving underwater uh, it, with, with, with seemingly no issues with, with navigating or you know negotiating their, their air supply or anything is somewhat chilling. Like it is an interesting visual. I don't know if I'd say it's actually scary, but it is weird um and again novelty counts for a lot it's not every day you see ghosts underwater like this um anyway they give chase kinda but not like super fast chase because they're like elderly and ghosts at the bottom of the a lake uh so they they kind of like lazily chase after our heroes uh, and at this point ben's also pretty fucking freaked out <laughs> um Anyway, there's a lot of shenanigans here, uh, a lot of them still trying to figure out how to get away. They do shut the door behind them, so the ghosts do not follow them, uh, and they are running out of ideas at which point I believe the chimney comes into play. This is where they uh, try to ascend out out the top of the chimney. Um, this They also have to take off their oxygen tanks from their back, and they just like hold them between their legs as they try to swim up. Uh, but then some weird bullshit happens here where stones begin like rocks start falling down the chimney and the camera shakes a bunch and then our heroes black out and i have no fucking clue what that was supposed to be uh but apparently there was a like supernatural tremor or something not a graboid that would that's that's tremor seven or whatever uh, ghost graboids <laughs> just just you wait they'll they'll find a way to bring ghost graboids and oh 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 invisible graboids uh chameleonoids or some shit yeah ghost graboids billion dollar idea right there shit um anyway they pass out and ben is on the second story of the house and tina is on the first story uh and by the way the uh the drone uh tom by the way I, I guess it's supposed to be named after the phrase peeping tom uh, being as it's a remote camera um is is hanging out around our characters and routinely malfunctioning um he, he has kind of a aggressive red light that he shines uh in particular at tina from time to time seemingly just for atmosphere and tension it doesn't really have a purpose to it it never actually like attacks or anything it just kind of gets surly <laughs> towards her the camera does um anyway they're separated and uh they're both i believe beset upon by uh two different ghosts um ben is uh he he actually does a, an underwater under hiding under the bed routine uh with the lady ghost the older woman i believe uh, she comes into a bedroom uh that he's stuck in and uh, he hides under a bed whilst wearing a scuba tank, uh, scuba gear. Uh, kind of funny. Um, and then I believe uh, Tina is downstairs. Uh, and I forget exactly what she gets up to. Um, my my memory of this movie that I literally just watched is starting to get hazy. That's not a good sign. Anyway, long story short, the two of them do find each other. Uh, however, he is not right in the head um, his speech pattern has changed to be very monotone uh, he's speaking in kind of elliptical difficult to decipher terms uh, she's panicked so it, it, it's understandable that she's not picking up on what we the viewers are that he's he's not right um, also he's injured and there's an episode here where she uh, believes there is something in her scuba suit uh, in her dive gear, and she feels it wriggling around, and eventually a little snake uh, pops up in her face mask, and I believe it's rendered in CGI. Uh, he is he is encouraging her to swallow it, to eat the snake, uh, so he so she can be just like him or some shit. And I think she's not hearing him because she's too busy dealing, you know, dealing with the shit going on right now in her mask. And she solves the problem by taking off her mask and putting it back on. By the way, anyway, she's she's clearly she is always looking to him to lead um, whenever they're in these kinds of extreme scenarios. So, it, I'm I'm not calling her you know dumb horror lady here. It kind of makes sense that you know if she's in a panic, she would still look to him to to solve the problem, even if even if she is picking up on signals that suggest he's not trustworthy in this moment anyway he leads her back to the cellar and then takes her into yet another back room uh like another secret compartment um that is a theater room and we get the whole shebang here Uh, we have the plot laid out to us maybe in two concrete terms if i'm being honest kind of reminded me of the silent hill movie just a little bit uh speaking of horror video games, uh, that I have played. Um, so we saw lots of film equipment in the house, uh, and also lots and lots and lots of, uh, children's toys and stuff strewn about the house, um, during the exploration, uh, portion of the film. I think what we're meant to discover here is that, uh, this family, uh, uh, the Montagnac family, I believe, uh, I believe they were abducting children and uh, sacrificing them for satanic ritual purposes. I think that's the implication here. Ben straight up tells us that, yes, they, they were sacrificing people. Um, but I don't think he ever says that it's children. Um, but that seems to be the implication just based on how, many, how much children shit is strewn about the house. Other than, you know, the typical gothic shit of, you know, porcelain dolls and, and flowery shit it are very are just common tropes of of you know haunted house fiction it's just ornamentation that you expect to see in these locales i guess is what i'm saying um but yeah uh they actually play a film like on a projector screen underwater uh also reminded me of another video game um the suffering uh from the ps2 era uh, if you're not familiar um it's a decent little action horror game with uh, i believe uh I want to say Stan Winston Studios uh, may have done the designs for some of the monsters in that one I could be wrong on that but I seem to remember that being a blurb although maybe I'm getting confused with the Area 51 game not the arcade game the PS2 game uh wow that was a tangent um but yeah they they actually play uh some footage on a projector screen in this mini home theater here uh, this very well kept uh underwater home theater uh in this back room here um, and we see the, the husband and wife carving somebody up. It's actually pretty graphic for a movie that otherwise doesn't have any sort of blood or gore or anything like that. Um, and also we're informed that uh, very similar to uh, a, a Frederick Kruger, a Freddy Kruger, um, the town apparently came in wearing uh, bags on their heads uh, to mask their identities, like just the townsfolk discovered that these people were doing these rituals and raided their home and apparently murdered them, uh, apparently like murdered the the girl that we saw earlier and the husband and wife, they chained them up in the basement uh, with those torture masks on and presumably left them there um, when the house was flooded. Um, I think that's the implication is that they were strewn up probably just prior to the like, house being flooded or something um so that's that's why they're evil spirits it's because they were evil in life and uh, they had horrific deaths that yeah Um, anyway there is a bit of trivia here um, that i will point out something i wouldn't have been able to remember on my own but um the phrase that is not dead which can eternal lie and uh yeah in this film that's all it is but apparently uh, that's the family motto. That is not dead, which can eternal lie. Um, and there is that's, that's the punctuation, by the way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not misplacing a comma there. That's how it's fucking written. Apparently, it's a, a translation uh, from H.P. Lovecraft. Um, the full quote is, that is not dead, which can eternal lie, comma, and with strange eons, even death may die. Um, so the first half of that is the family motto. Um, which I guess is supposed to be some sort of flowery allusion to their evil spirits continuing to exist at the bottom of this lake. Um, so yeah, uh, they're in the theater here, and uh, Ben and Tina have have a uh, have an exchange here, but it's interrupted by uh, the little girl cutting her way through the back of the projector screen and like floating her way towards them, um, and before she can do anything. Uh, Tina takes off. Uh, she actually leaves through the same hole that that girl just cut. Um, and all, all the ghosts and Ben pursue her, at which point um, Ben and Tina start to grapple. Uh, there are knives being brandished by both of them, I believe. Uh, and Tina actually stabs him uh, like on top of the delt, essentially. Uh, at which point he actually comes to his senses again, just in time uh, for the little girl to sneak up behind him and stab him in the chest. Uh, so the movie officially has a body count. Uh, we get to see Ben bleed out and drift into the, the sediment and the darkness of, of the deep deep house. Uh, and then Tina does what you do at this point. She, she she says, you know what? Fuck, fuck this noise. I am out. (laughs) Like I have, I am so done with this fucking deep house. It's like you can stuff your saris in a sack. Uh, so she just takes off. Uh, she, she does what uh, what you do in a, in a zombie movie. She's just like, you know, why don't we just run past them? Uh, she, she just swims uh, towards a hole in, in the roof of this back chamber here. And by the way, very lovely production details here where it's this, this like muddy underground room. I believe it's supposed to be like a, the bottom of a well or something. And there are body parts and bones, uh, fleshy body parts and bones, uh, protruding from the ground and from the walls of this chamber. Uh, so apparently this is where the dead bodies were stored, uh, after this family murdered people. Um, so she is ascending, she is swimming up. And, uh, this is, this is where I can say a lot of good about this movie. Um, one of the better things you can do if you're going to do any good things uh, with your horror film uh, is end it well. And I'll say this much, if you don't want spoiled, uh, why the fuck are you listening to this episode? But I'm, I'm about to explain the ending of this film, um, which is, I think, objectively pretty good. Like, I think it's pretty well done, with the exception of maybe some funky green screen. I'm not sure. Um, but in terms of structure, I really it resonated with me. I was like, well done. Well done. Not everybody would have the balls to do that, but they they did it. And when I, when I think about like who made this film, uh, the directors of Inside, uh, Alexandre Bustillo and Julien Maury, um, and I think about that film, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe this is a thing they do. I haven't watched their Leatherface, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's some consistency in in the way these fellas end their films. Anyway. Uh, the conclusion of Zidip House uh, consists of Tina swimming away from her her guy Ben, who just bit the dust underwater, no less. And uh, we just get the shot of the ghost, kind of like looking up at her longingly, like they're not chasing her. They're just like, oh man, <laughs> it's like it's like, hang on, did she did she put in for the pizza? <laughs> it's like that bitch stiffed me on twenty dollars. Shit. Uh, so she swims up to towards this hole and I think it's really, it's set up pretty well where just before she's having her life and life and death struggle with Ben, and she didn't know it was going to be that, but that's what it ended up being. Uh, she mentions, I think it's a way out. She doesn't actually know. It's just, this is the only move at this point. So she does. So she goes for it. (laughs) And at this point, um, we've, we have had intensifying, uh, with intensifying regularity reminders of, uh, of her oxygen supply and fairly routinely her oxygen supply has been lower than Ben's because his breathing has been more controlled. Um, and here, uh, we actually get like an alarm sounding, which tells us she's out of air, uh, as she's breaking away from the ghost. So she ditches her gear uh, and she swims upward uh, into this tiny, this tiny little anus in the ceiling, uh, and this is where things get really cool. So she is without oxygen supply at this point. So she is holding her breath, um, and we cut to a POV shot uh, with you know appropriately muffled sound uh, of of somebody swimming and struggling uh, in, in a large body of water. Uh, And it's this POV shot of her swimming, but also somewhat tunneling through a very narrow passage upward. And as I said, the the walls of this passage, much like the chamber below, are adorned with uh, gory, rotted body parts. Uh, So there's texture uh, and and interesting imagery uh, going up through this tunnel. Uh, But the important thing is just remembering, oh, shit. A minute twenty-two. That's the best this lady's got. So from from the moment she takes her gear off, if you want to play a little meta game with the film, you can actually try to hold your breath along with her. See how that works out, Junior. Um, but yeah, uh, she swims up through this tunnel, and it's an extended take. I was very I was very impressed with. Good job, Baxter. Head editor, Baxter. Good job there, showing some restraint and letting letting the moment breathe because you know, it, it it's in terms of things that could spike the tension of an underwater exploration scenario, being deprived of oxygen is probably the the, the biggest play you have. It's probably the the biggest bomb you've got in your arsenal, and now we're there. Uh, so letting that moment breathe, letting us, the viewer take in this visual of this person swimming. And, try and placing yourself in that scenario is the right move anyway she does manage to get through this passageway at which point she uh, gets to like I think it's like the entryway of the house somehow um, I don't really know how the layout works but anyway she comes towards a gate which she unlike every other opening in the house like the windows and, and the shutters and stuff she actually is able to push it open And she does Uh, so she pushes it open and then she starts uh kicking off her gear she has a weight belt i assume um and then she begins her ascent and she's you know swimming the best she can and again the choice on the part of the filmmakers and baxter our editor uh are admirable uh, because we we have these series of cuts where we we show her mid-sized in the frame like center frame swimming upward and then we cut to the roughly the same shot, but p- the camera pulled back, you know, 10, 20 feet or so. And then we do that a series of times, like two or three times, just to instill in us, the viewer, as well as the character, I guess, uh, a sense of just how far this woman still has to go before she reaches the surface. And just that, that shot of. A very small figure in a very in a vast body of water, not even halfway up to the surface, is very effective. And then, uh, spoiler alert, uh, she doesn't make it. Uh, she gets pretty close to the surface, she can see the sun, um, and she takes off her mask just in time to expire, uh, at which point she hangs in the uh, Jesus crucified on the cross pose and floats for a second. Uh, and then we cut to a shot of the surface, completely calm, not, no distress. Looks like a lovely day. And then fade to black credits. Uh, so yeah, she died. Uh, <laughs> she died because she decided to smoke before she went down. <laughs> uh, no, uh, maybe if maybe if she had those three minutes that she claimed to have in her arsenal, maybe she would have made it. Uh, that's 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 where you know good horror endings come from. Is is shit like that where it's like. <laughs> just just one just, just almost got him just just almost got it just just didn't quite work out. Sorry lady um, but yeah she doesn't make it and uh, by the way I am aware that uh, pretty sure this this uh, poetic ending scenario w- wouldn't work anyway um, because the I, the bends are a thing and I, I do believe this is supposed to be like a 100 feet down. I'm not sure exactly how the uh, how the atmospheres work. I forget if it's like 20 feet per atmosphere or something like that. Um, I don't know how many deep you got to go in order to require uh, decompression. But as far as I understand, I, I don't... Again, I don't, I don't know a lot about diving. Uh, my dad does. Uh, he didn't tell me about it, Or he hasn't told me, but he's still alive, goddammit. Um, I... I don't know, like, to what depth you need to start breathing mixed gases. Uh, they were breathing oxygen. Um, but yeah, I have to, I, I want to say that decompression is required after 100 feet, like an hour at 100 feet. I, I feel like you got to do it in a, in a series of step ups. Could be wrong on that. But I, I from, from what, like, few things I've garnered from listening to my dad ramble about stupid shit like this pretty sure that's a thing so she probably would have died no matter what uh regardless of how well she could hold her breath but good ending no matter how you slice it i guess if you check logic at the door or whatever um but yeah uh, that was the the night house uh or the deep uh, we did the night house <laughs> i'm sorry uh we did the night house uh better movie uh a while back uh, kyle and i uh much better movie um if only because rebecca hall is in that and to quote brad from the cinema speak podcast she's great i don't know if he says that about her i do though just for the record uh, she's great rebecca hall she's great um yeah this this was okay like guess <laughs> wasn't great i'm amazed i talked about it for as long as i did i probably shouldn't have I, I need to give myself a rest god damn it uh but yeah that was the deep house uh from directors alexandre bustillo and uh marie um okay Uh, inside was much better than this Uh, this the cinematography and the editing uh, were quite good production design for a sub 2 million dollar production very impressive Uh, especially when you consider the uh, some of the trials and tribulations of designing the the sets for this thing Uh, very impressive on a less than 2 million dollar budget um, but on the whole, it's just, it's a little too, uh, for lack of a better term, try. Um, it plays things just a little bit too straight down the middle. I could have used a little bit more twists. Um, not so much in terms of story. I think we got maybe too many of those. Honestly, I could have, I feel like this could have done better with like keeping the story just a little bit more vague. I didn't need it spelled out to me the way it was. I'll, you know, didn't hurt the movie or anything. It's just that was a choice um, that I didn't really need or benefit from. Um, but in terms of the execution, I I could have used some some more crisis moments, um, some more energy. I know that's maybe difficult to achieve when all of your characters are literally moving underwater. Um, like you can't have any like high intensity chase sequences or anything or at least with any sort of velocity to them because the characters are limited in how quickly they can swim and maneuver and stuff um i, I could have used more reminders about the oxygen to supply like maybe like maybe having frequent encounters with the ghosts really put a lot of pressure on the two characters uh, in the form of their you know their heart rate and their their breath rate, uh, intensifying, uh, under tension and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, I I'm glad this movie exists just so, just so we can say that it exists. Uh, an underwater haunted house movie is not something you see every day. Uh, so novelty counts for a lot. That's kind of neat. Uh, but on the whole, it's, it's a very, very average, uh, ghost film. Uh, I wouldn't say it's, Exceptional in too many ways but if you're a fanatic about this sort of thing like if ghost fiction ghost media is your jam could do worse I guess but you could certainly do better Um, but yeah I already said the name of the movie I already said the name of the directors badly Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and sign off here so uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com Uh, You can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram, at CatchingUpOnCinema, as well as the Twitter, at CatchingCinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those for as long as Twitter continues to exist. Uh, I guess I'll have to look into getting threads. Don't really wanna, but that's the way the cookie crumbles, maybe. Who fucking knows? Uh, And the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including BitCade. Uh, so fucking Google that shit. And, uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening. Really. I appreciate it quite a lot. Uh, and I'll catch you next time. Hopefully we'll, but definitely I'll catch you next time.